Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. everybody and welcome back to the Dead Prankle podcast where we are joining you for season three. Yes, I'm Emma Jones, that's Kat Hooker and throughout the duration of season three, myself and Kat are going to be picking apart loads of questions that you've sent into the Dead Parent Club podcast and we're also going to have plenty of very knowledgeable, wise and good guests on as well. Yes, so for today's episode we are diving right into a topic that affects quite a lot of us that are grieving the loss of a parent and that is anticipatory grief. Let's crack on then, shall we? Welcome to the Dead Parent Club. So anticipatory grief, by definition, is when you're basically grieving the impending loss of a loved one. Now that can affect people in so many different ways. So if they've had a terminal diagnosis, your parent might be an addict. And so even though they haven't been diagnosed terminal, you kind of have that knowledge that at some point they might pass or it can just be the fact that you know you've lost touch with a parent and you can be grieving that relationship before they they end up dying and you know you've never been able to get in contact with them again so it can be it's multifaceted anticipatory grief but it is something that I know a lot of you have experienced and something that you wanted us to cover on the podcast just as an extension of that as well, while slightly different in terms of anticipatory grief I know that after my mum died I anticipated everybody else dying and I still do. So it is even, it goes as far as I think that there is just this constant trigger where now, like I thought a lot about everybody around me dying and I still do. And my own death. Yeah, yeah. I am anticipating my own death all the time. Exactly. And so I think it's not even when it's like directly happening necessarily Mm -hmm. and there is a terminal diagnosis or something like that. I think it's something that you can just carry with you a lot as well. I certainly know I do. I certainly definitely did. And for you, Kat, you're in a situation now where you lost your mum, obviously, a number of years ago. And your dad has had a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. Um, Are you experiencing anticipatory grief? Yes. I mean, like we've spoken about in an episode prior, even just thinking about getting married and I'm actually already anticipating him not being there, even though he may well be. So, um, you know, for like a little bit of context, my dad had prostate cancer at the same time as my mum having cancer. I think he's had it like three times now. He was getting tested really regularly and we found out earlier this year that his PSI levels, which is basically the count of like prostate cancer in the blood, had shot right up. 
so my dad had loads of scans and stuff and like we were weirdly hoping for like a tumor somewhere that he we could just get it cut out and have radiotherapy and that was it but unfortunately um it spread to all of the lymph nodes in the bottom half of his body and it's just such a wide area that they can't get rid of it however it's where it gets kind of complicated is that they can give him life extension treatment so my dad describes his treatment as like a spring and at the moment his treatment is doing a really good job of like pushing that spring right down to the bottom so there is just like you know it's been completely pushed down but we're kind of living in the knowledge that at any point it could just spring back so at the moment it's really good his treatment is working really well he has a lot of side effects he's unwell he's not really the same because it kind of reduces his testosterone levels so he basically has no testosterone which comes with a whole host of side effects but at the moment my dad's prognosis is great it's just kind of living with that knowledge that I know that I'm not going to have a dad for as long as everybody, well, you know, most people have have a dad, which is such a weird thing to think. Like I'm 26 now, so the chances of my dad living past 10 years are very, 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 very slim. So I'm like, Christ, I'm going to be 36 and I'm going to be a platinum member of the DPC. We on this podcast don't normally get to speak to people who, because we talk about the dead. Mm-hmm. How do you think your dad is coping? I think right now, because his prognosis is so good, he's feeling really positive. But I think just like me, I think he's just living in the knowledge that he is so, so hyper aware that at some point like he's going to die too soon. Has he changed how he lives because of that knowledge? I wish he had. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, classic nagging, but... But even what I mean by that is, is he wanting to experience certain things or is he just quite content as he is? I would say he's quite content, but I think he is... You know, one of the things when he found out about his diagnosis, he was like, you know, I want to spend as much time as I can like with my grandkids and going out cycling. And I think, you know, that is that is what he's doing. But I think... With any diagnosis, you know, we saw it with our parents and when we found out about it, like with our mums, you have a diagnosis, but life carries on. So every day your life is still the same. Like even though he feels shit because his treatment's making him feel really crap, he's he's not going to suddenly go skydiving every day or do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of a weird one because you just learn to be like, okay, well, this is just my life now. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's so weird because... Obviously now I'm I'm kind of, you know, experiencing anticipatory grief and thinking about what my life is going to be like when he dies and stuff. But the funny thing, or not funny thing is, is that I was actually doing that before he even had that diagnosis because after my mum died, I just knew that my dad was going to die early. Like I just knew it in my gut. I don't know whether, you know, that is just that kind of classic thing of, you know, being hyper aware of people's fragility. Um, but I feel like I even started kind of, processing that news even before I'd heard it yeah I just kind of I just knew like you know my dad's obviously had a lot of cancer quite a few times and I don't know I just I was like I just don't feel like I'm going to be that person that grows old with the parent it hurts hearing that it hurts hearing (laughs) you say that because I love you like I just hate the idea I understand the thought process completely but it hurts I hurt for you thinking about that because I put myself in your situation and I can imagine it brings with it a whole host of different emotions do you think that losing your mum means that now with your dad you are approaching it differently so do you know what I would love to turn around and say you know because of all the time that I regretted not spending with my mum when she had her diagnosis and before before that now I spend as much time as with my dad as I can and I love seeing him I would love to say that but it would be it would be a lie 
because I love, I love my dad, but we're not really close. And, you know, we are, we're quite close, but we wouldn't necessarily spend loads of time together. We don't go out shopping together and we don't like do loads of things together. So I do go and see him, but not as much as somebody might expect. Some, you know, somebody might hear that and be like, I'm guessing you spend loads of time with him and stuff. And I'm like, well, no, because I have to balance my own mental health at the same time as well. And also your dad, knowing him as a character, would probably be weirded out if all of a sudden you were hanging around with him 10 hours a day. Yeah, and also it's not just my responsibility. I've got two brothers yeah. and they don't live at home. So they don't, they probably see him on, well, Martin lives in Cyprus, so he never sees him really. My other brother lives in Wales, has two kids to look after, so he probably sees them once a month. And also, you don't want to treat it like it's a responsibility. When you exactly. see your dad, you want to see him because you want to see him and you don't yeah. want it to feel forced. I'm going to ask a dark question now, so please love, forgive love me. Questions. Do you think you that would be different if his diagnosis was more, the terminal illness side of it was more imminent? Yes. Yeah, I think it definitely would be. But it would also feel like a responsibility. Mm. Because I really enjoy spending time with him, but I like seeing him, you know, once a week for a short period of time, having a quick catch up. And that's okay. I just, I know, I know I'm going slightly off topic here, but there is so much onus on people. There's so much, I feel pressure that when people do get a terminal diagnosis or stuff, mm. well, you must spend every waking moment with them. Actually, yeah. there's two people here and both of them might just be okay with the balance that they have, that they mm -hmm. do spend, because... People like to have a bit of time on their own. People like to enjoy other people's company as well. Life is still happening for everyone, including mm. the person with the terminal prognosis half the time, right up until, you know, unfortunately the latter stages of it. And it's about it being an enjoyable experience, not yeah. about it being forced and pressurized. It's also, you know, I am in a bit of a privileged position where I will know when he is getting close mm. to dying because his treatment will stop working and we'll know. So I'll kind of be able to spend more, more time with him then, which just, it seems mad, you know, I never would have thought what I said this after my mum died because I would have been like, I want to see her all the time. But like, and yeah, my heart goes out to people who are caring for a parent that has a diagnosis where they are their, their carer, their full-time carer, whether they have something like Alzheimer's or an addiction and you are the person that has to be there for them all the time. And my heart goes out to you because that must be unbelievably hard because you cannot distance yourself from it and I know that I am very privileged in the fact that despite my dad's news being horrific and you know all death and grief is is hurtful and it's painful but being able to have a break from it is you know I feel really lucky for that yeah the heaviness and the weight that you must have to carry with you if you are a carer for someone that you love who is uh, enjoying any of the things that Kat mentioned there and, you know, there's a whole wealth of other things as well. It can probably lead you into your own depression. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say, just a bit of advice on that, is to remember that it's okay to ask for help from outside, be that friends, family, but also professional help mm -hmm. because more often than not, there is help available. We just don't know about it until we ask. And you can't, what's that saying? Is it, You can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. So please look after yourself because your life is just as valuable as the person you're caring for. Yeah. So you have to really look after yourself and it's not selfish. You're not selfish by doing that. You're doing what's right for you and in turn then what's right for that person. Um, but I understand that logistically that might be quite difficult. And just on what you said, Kat, about not necessarily wanting to spend all your time with your dad, I also think, like you said, that depends on the relationship you have with that person. Mm -hmm. Say if it was your mum, I think 
because of what I've learned, the pitch I've yeah. built up about that relationship, I think you'd spend a lot more time with her. Yeah. Yeah. I think every relationship dynamic is different, isn't it? I think it's important where, you know, if you have got a parent with a terminal illness right now, or you had a parent with a terminal illness and they've now passed and you're feeling guilty about not spending enough, enough time with them, it's okay if your relationship didn't foster that kind of relationship. You know, every person experiences something different. And whilst I'm on that about it being okay, it's also okay if, you know, you gave so much of your life to that person before they died and you grieved so much whilst they were still alive that you have an ounce of relief when they die. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma attached to that. And we're quite, I think a lot of us would be quite scared to say to anybody who didn't understand, you know, I actually feel like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders now. And if you're feeling like that, that's okay. Like, don't feel guilty for it because it is completely normal. And, you know, when somebody is suffering for a long time, it can feel like relief to, to not have to kind of dedicate your life to that anymore. I know we can sit here and say, you know, don't feel guilty. And I know guilt is a natural emotion, but you don't have to feel it. I think mm. that's what we're saying is you don't need to feel guilty. We understand that emotions are natural. And I think when there's any death, guilt is part of the grieving process. You just feel guilty. Even if you've done everything, you'll feel guilt regardless. But just know that that person would want you to continue living a fulfilling life for yourself and for them. And also, you know, don't feel guilty. Well, again, you don't have to feel guilty if you are a carer or you have a parent or a loved one with a terminal prognosis and you are still living your life because you deserve that. You owe it to yourself to still lead your own life and enjoy life. And nobody should expect you to do otherwise. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that you're not giving your best to them. It means that you are understanding that life is about balance and that actually, and also the way I always think of it is, if that was me, if I was in that position, if I was the terminally ill one, what would mm. I want? And I would take great joy in knowing that the people I love are still enjoying their lives. And I would, I'd hate the idea of anybody carrying guilt as a result of me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of us do kind of have, have struggles, you know, coping with grief and guilt and if you are we did do a fantastic episode with um dr thomas psychologist earlier on in season two which i would 100 percent recommend that you listen to um because they are really complicated emotions to process but i think obviously you and i we can only talk about our own experiences as usual so did you know what anticipatory grief was before your mum died? No. Uh, well, to be honest, as a child, I had, still do, it doesn't just go OCD. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know. So as an 11 year, year old child with OCD, I'm sure a lot of you listening will understand it, but there are, OCD isn't just cleaning as mm -hmm. people think. There are so many different dimensions to obsessive compulsive disorder. And the thing I struggled with was obsessively thinking people were going to die. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when my mum died, it was like, oh my ding, God. Ding, yeah. So I would, honest to God, of an evening, I used to go to bed thinking people were going to die, which mm. in itself is a form of anticipatory grief. Yeah. I was hyper aware of death, of everything. My mum would have to tell me that everyone in the whole wide world was going to be okay every time before I got there was a list. It was a long list. We'd ha she'd have to schedule in like 20 minutes of this list just <laughs> list before all I the names out. <laughs> then she'd shut the door. And I bet I'd she was to... terrified that one day that one of them people. Well, this was the problem. Be. This was the problem mm -hmm. that then if anyone did die, I'm yeah. like, Mum, 
you said you everyone in the whole wide world was going to be okay and I've seen on oh, TV on the news God. tonight someone died so and then she would shut the door and I'd have to flick the light switch on and off about 50 times wow. for every single person and then the final one was for like everyone in the whole wide world to be okay that night which sounds crazy I know but that crazy. such is the nature of OCD yeah. didn't understand it and I thought in my own mind as an 11 year old I was saving the world from death yeah. which so I'm a bit of a different case study in that long before any death appeared in my family, mm. I was anticipating it. What about you? I had never heard of anticipatory grief, and which I think is mad, you know, especially for people that get told that their parents are going to die and have a terminal diagnosis. Nobody once sat down with me and thought, you know, it's normal to maybe start processing this death a little bit earlier, or maybe you should try and start processing this death a little bit earlier. Nobody said that to me. So... Then, when she died, it just makes me laugh when people say, oh, you know, you expected it, so, you know, you must have been a little bit prepared. Was I fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it's so true. And do you know what part of that was, probably? People going, um, she's young, she has got mm. all this woman, we don't have to tell her. Well, please listen to two people who lost their mum extremely young, right? the kindest thing you can do is be honest with them. Yeah. Is be honest with them about that because we will be walloped by the death anyway. So, hey, if it looks like it's going to happen, allow us to anticipate it because otherwise, you know, we might have done things differently. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, like nobody told me, you know, to start fostering a relationship with my dad. Nobody told me that I was going to have to learn to build some mental resilience. Nobody told me that there's a very high link between grief and depression, which there is huge or just any you know, mental illness, anxiety, all sorts. So like, why did nobody tell me any of this? Nobody tells you either that, you know, you're going to turn a key in the door and that person's not going to be there. Mm -hmm. And that home from the very May day that you arrive home, is not a home anymore. Mm -hmm. In the, it will never feel the same as it once did when that person was there. And these are all things that we could try as you might and think that it, you know, and I'm sure, look, it's all done with good intention. But as a rule, I would always advocate for honesty. Just be honest because then it allows you to mentally start to prepare. We're going to cry and grieve anyway. Which is quite scary. I think when you've been in the pits of grief, like when your parent or parents have just died, you actually don't think you're going to survive it. No. 
you really don't like it is overwhelming or maybe you don't feel that way you didn't feel that way straight away and now you're going through that you're kind of going through kind of like a delayed grieving process and you're like oh my god I cannot cope with how I am feeling and being scared of grief is very normal so like even when people say now you know you're asking me then, you know, do you have like, are you experiencing anticipated grief with my dad? And yes, I am about the kind of physical things, you know, not being there when I, when I get married and not being around to like help me with DIY or just to call off. I've got like a question about my oven not working or something. But I think about that, but I don't sit and think about how much it might actually impact me mentally because that is scary. And look, grief no matter how you're going to grieve, you're going to grieve. Mm-hmm. We're all going to grieve. None of us are getting out of life without grieving at some point. And Kat's right that being afraid of grief is a very real, real thing you, because it's the stark reality of it. And then it's your whole world is thrown out of sync when you have to grieve. You don't know, who, you don't even recognize yourself anymore. So you've lost this person, you've lost yourself because you've you've got nothing left life is to life as you know it is gone yeah it is gone and do you know what i wish someone told me that yeah i please. wish someone had sat me down and said i am sorry emma your mum is going to die mm-hmm. it, i know they had the conversations behind my back now yeah. so and that's fine i understand again it was all done born out of good intentions i wish i'd been privy to it so that five days before she actually died that wasn't the moment I realized and went shit I'd better write her a big long letter Mm -hmm. because I can't verbalize how I'm feeling because this is overwhelming Mm -hmm. definitely I think you know another part of that is when your parent or parents aren't willing to talk about the fact that they're going to die so like I knew my mum was going to die I'd been told but the fact that she wouldn't speak to me about it meant that I didn't process it because she, she, she so strongly believed, you know, as she got put in a blinking syringe driver, she was like, I'm just going to sleep. I'll be, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay for Christmas. That was like one of the last things she said. And now I'm just like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> I wish I'd said a little bit more. Well, yeah, she was just so determined to not die. You know, she wasn't ready to die. And I think that's sad, but. And I think our parents were trying to protect us. Always. Oh, I think at the root of it, look, we don't have children, but I can only Imagine that all you want to do is wrap your children up and protect them. And in the deep midst of knowing your own, facing your own mortality, the worst part of that is probably knowing you're going to leave your children and the ache and pain. And what parent would want to see, what parent would want to have to have that conversation with their child? So I fully understand. I fully understand why they didn't want to do that. They were, they had our best interests at heart. But, you know, if, heaven forbid, you ever got a terminal prognosis mm. and you had children, would you be honest with them now, knowing how Yeah, I, I'd absolutely have to be, I think. I think it's important for people to have those those conversations. And I think, I say that now, you know, yeah, absolutely, I think it would be a hell of a lot harder if I actually had to do it. But I do I do think it's, it's really important. You know, we had Rachel Bland's husband on, didn't we? And, she obviously wrote that book for her son, which I think is just such a lovely thing to do. So it's even if maybe if I didn't talk to them directly, if I wrote a journal, you mm. know, and wrote some things, I think having something to hold on to afterwards would be amazing. But like, what do you think? What do you think you would say? If I had children? Mm. Oh, God. Uh, 
I mean, it's a conversation no parent ever wants to have with their child. But there is also a, you know, depending on the age, of course, mm. there is children on, there's a certain resilience to children yeah. that you don't see in adults. And that actually, you can be far more matter of fact with them. And they are a lot more accepting of that than most adults I know. Um, so Tom, who I, my former partner, mm-hmm. had two of the most precious children in the world. And... um they were very matter of fact. You know, your mum's dead, isn't she? And so they, and they were five and seven at the time. So they can absorb that information and be very pragmatic about it. Like, yeah. your mum's dead and that's that. So well, like I say, it's dependent on age because as you become a teenager and you're more angst-ridden and hyper-aware of the world mm-hmm. around you, I think that conversation probably, I mean, it's difficult to have with a child at any age. But I think once you, um, or I like to think that once you've broken the initial most heartbreaking news to them, that everything thereafter for the duration of however long you have left can be a a softer conversation. Opening the floor for questions, I think, because you have so many questions, don't you, I think. Yeah. Uh, Just having that open, an open dialogue would be so refreshing. Yeah. And also to have the opportunity and, you know, I think about it now with like, Nana because I think about the fact that she died so quickly Mm. about having and in actual fact on um, anticipatory grief I felt that with my Nana a lot because yeah I was going to ask yeah and so I I always thought and my best friend Hannah has always said to me the day Nana Kay dies she said I don't even want to be around because I'm petrified of what will happen to you that day Mm. and I was always hyper aware that she was going to die so genuinely sometimes I would ring my Nana and I would just cry and say, and I could get upset now because I would just cry to her mm. and I'd say, Nana, I know you're going to die and I'm so scared. I'm scared of you dying. And she'd say, I'm not going anywhere, love. I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> and so, and sometimes I remember sitting in her living room by the fire and looking at her in the chair and being so overwhelmed with love that I would just say to her, and, and, and this horrible feeling that she won't be with me one day. So I just used to look at her and say, Nana, do you know how much I love you? And she said, of course I do. And I used to, I used to say, no, like, I need do you, you to really understand. Know? Can you feel yeah. it? <laughs> That's what I used to say. Yeah. Can you feel it? Can you feel how deeply yeah. I love you, Nana? You are my whole world. And all of that is wanting to express my love because of anticipatory grief, that yeah. I can't let this woman leave earth as I know it without, because I never felt I got that with my mom. I never yeah. got the chance to do that. So whilst my Nana wasn't given a terminal prognosis, she was taken from us very quickly. I spent years just waiting, mm-hmm. thinking, oh God, she's going to die. And I'm so scared and I need her to know you know what you are so right in that and like you know how we always say you know we make really meaningful connections with people now we're grieving I think a lot of that is wanting to show people that you love them so much because you never want to be in that position again yeah and I know I come across as a weirdo and really know that because I and you're the same as me, Kat. We have big hearts and we love, like, we, and, and I, I love love. Yeah, yeah. And not just romantically. Mm-hmm. I just, when I love people, I wholly fucking love them. <laughs> and, and very quickly, yeah. like, if I have a bond with someone. Yeah. Um, and people have said to me before now, you know, I've never had friends like this. You're very intense. <laughs> you're quite intense. 
hands on you. And, and I'm don't hug me. I'm not a hugger. Okay, well I am. I am so, yeah, so tough shit. What's going to happen now is you're going to be a hugger yeah. as well. <laughs> and I'm very much like that with my friends. Like and and I and I catch myself doing it sometimes. Like um, my friend Claire came to visit me in London, and we went for some food, and I spent the entire time with my arm round her, and I was like, <laughs> people are going to be thinking Sorry. like, is this your child? What what are you doing? And I, but I can't help it. I'm yeah. like, come close. It's my way of pulling yeah. them in to show them love. I cannot help it. I'm literally in work and I remember recently I was like kind of like talking to my mate in work and suddenly she kind of went, Kat, do you realise how close you've just gone to me? Like, can you please get away? And I was like, sorry. And in my first job, I remember one of the guys, they loved Photoshop. And one of them photoshopped me onto like a Space Invaders thing. So it's like Space Raider, but he put Space Invader and it's my face and all these Space Raiders, which was iconic actually, but it's a very accurate It's true, it's true, isn't it? You just, you can't yeah. help it. And I see it even when I'm at work because like I travel to London for work and you know I've been going there for the last year and I love everyone that I work mm. with. So I'll boom down the corridors to everyone. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love you, I love you, see you soon. And yeah. people are a bit like, Right. So yeah. Who is this northern girl that travels up here a weekend and shouts love you everywhere? But you know what? So what? Yeah. So what? Because as we know, we are going to die one day. So I want to tell everybody I love them. And part of that is because I know they're going to die. And that is a form of anticipatory grief. Yeah. It like is. That literally is anticipated grief like manifesting itself in the way that you behave. Yeah. And even when you read those things online that say, always remember the, the last time you say goodbye to someone, mm. that's anticipated grief. Yeah. Because we're doing that so that if they, if that is the last time we say goodbye to them, mm. it means we have that memory marked in our mind. I always say love you to my dad. Yeah. Always. Always make sure that he mm. knows he, he, the words actually come out. How do you feel about your dad? As in, like, do you think about him dying? Although, I, yeah, I do. I do. He feels like quite a sturdy character, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, like that's not going anywhere. He's just there, isn't like, he? I'm more likely to die yeah, for him. I know, <laughs> like, he's, I know he's just not mean. going anywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, but, it's but, that false sense of security that life gives yeah, me. Yeah, I know. I've not thought about it. Now I'm like, dad, Sorry. don't die. Please, please, please. <laughs> um, but with my granddad, because my granddad's much older, yeah, of course. I look at him and, you know, same thing. And my granddad's from a generation where talking about feelings wasn't as common mm -hmm. and yet now he'll pick up the phone and he'll ring me and he'll say I just want to tell you how much I love you you're, you're the best little granddaughter I could ever wish for Aww. and I keep that as well in my mind because of anticipatory grief because yeah. I know that he's not going to be here I carry a lot of guilt as well I carry a lot of guilt just you know I'm a bit of a contradiction because I'm all for go and live your own life. Mm. And that is exactly what I'm doing. But I just carry a lot of guilt that I am not able to see my granddad in the same way I was able to when Nana was alive. I was able to be there a lot more frequently, whereas mm. now my job takes me physically away. And I hope he doesn't think that that's because I don't want to be around him. Is that one of the reasons why you've bought a house now that's you know, in your hometown. Your uh, oh yeah, absolutely. But then- I, Which is anticipated, you agree? It, yeah, <laughs> it, uh, you know, I'm a, 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 there's a home there near him, but then I'm never there. So mm. there's, you know, I'm always in London or somewhere else yeah. doing something. So um, in theory, that was a great thing to do. Mm -hmm. But then would I change my life? No, not for mm. the world. Do I pick up the phone nearly every day and tell him, I love him. Well, how's your day been? Yeah. What are you having for tea? Yes, I do. Do I think about that last goodbye? Yes, I do. And all of that is anticipatory grief. And I think even if you haven't lost somebody, you'd be hard pushed to find someone 
who isn't in some form even very mildly experiencing it. Yeah, no, 100%. I think even people that haven't, you know, lost anybody yet, there is probably things that they do in their lives that they're kind of subconsciously aware of it. And so that's the weird thing with anticipatory grief. You're kind of, you're half blessed because if you are experiencing it, you can start incorporating things into your life that you think will make it a little bit easier for you after they die, even though it might not, but we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if if you're not experiencing it, kind of like, you know, before my mum died, I had my head in the sand. That's okay. Yeah. Because grief does hit you like a ton of bricks. So whether you have had chance to prepare for it or not, I think it will always sweep the carpet from under your feet and leave you with your ass on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Just it, shook to the core. <laughs> yeah, because it's a very different thing predicting a death to experiencing mm. a death. No one ever, like you said, Kat went, oh, you had time to prepare for it. You can never be prepared for it, no matter how much you anticipate it. And that might relieve a little bit of the guilt or make sure that you have some lasting memories. It, that person's still gone. That's what happens in the end. I think for any of you that are listening who perhaps had a parent with an addiction or you currently have a parent with an addiction, you're experiencing anticipatory grief or, you know, even suicide or, you know, somebody's got a mental illness and you're scared of that. We have got a number of episodes um, in the DPC catalogue of episodes <laughs> in the past with people who have experienced things, you know, losing a parent to suicide, addiction, um, an estranged parent, anything like that, which you might find comfort in. Because obviously Emma and I can talk from our own perspective, but there are a lot of stories out there that you can also relate to too if you're listening. Yeah, and we want to make sure that you feel heard because like Kat says, even though we can only draw on our own experiences, we are so aware that ours are ours and mm -hmm. yours is yours. So please do feel free as always to get in touch with us. Yeah, if there's anything that you've related to or anything that you want us to cover or get a guest on because you're really passionate about it, we will do our very best. And you can get in touch with us by contacting us and emailing hello at Ed Club.co.uk, on Instagram at Dead Parent Club Podcast, on Facebook Dead Parent Club Podcast, and on Twitter at DPC Podcast. Are we going to remember how we say goodbye for anticipatory grief? <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, everyone. See you next week. <laughs> goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. We love you all so much, just so you know. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.